Before I start, I just need your help. Now, I don't know if this is going to work because I don't know with all the different cultures in the room whether we use the same words for things. But what I want your help in is telling me what the names are for different groups of animals. So, for example, if I say a something of sheep, you would say... Flock. Thank you. If I was to say a something of cattle, you might say... Thank you. You're good at this. Should we get a bit harder? What about a something of baboons? Yes, he's honest. A troop of baboons. What about bees? Yes, bingo. These are some of my favourite ones. What about crows? Murder. Yes, a murder of crows. They get even better. What about rhinos? A crash of rhinos. Isn't that truly wonderful? But my all-time favourite, a something of wombats. It starts with the same letter to give you a bit of a clue. But I don't think you're going to get it. It's the wisdom of wombats. Like, why? I have no idea. Okay, what about a something of Christian believers? A church? A body? Any other words? A community? Flock. <laughs> yeah, a flock, a fellowship. So the last few weeks at a church, we, as a church, we've been looking at a series we've called Start. And we've talked about the importance as we start this year of, first of all, looking up to Jesus. Gazing on him, him being our source, him being the one we abide in. We've looked at the gift that spiritual disciplines are to us because they anchor our hearts to what's important. And then we've looked about how we manage our time and we've looked at the place of money as it kind of competes for the affections of our heart. I suppose we've, lo- we've looked at lots of me things, but today we're going to be looking at a we thing. We're going to be looking at community. Um, it's really fortunate that we have someone from Greece here today because they've helped me, hopefully, with my pronunciation. Um, but the Greek word in the New Testament for this like profound experience the believers had in their sh- shared life together is called kinonia. <laughs> yes. Um, now, there isn't actually a direct translation for that into English, but there's um, a dictionary that helps us translate these words. And it says that um, kinonia is translated community, communion, joint participation or fellowship. And if we look at the New Testament church, this kinonia is one where the believers loved one another. They forgave one another. They taught and corrected one another. They encouraged one another. They prayed for one another. They bore each other's burdens. They were friends with each other. They were kind and compassionate to each other. They shared what they had. They gave to each other. There was a closeness. They were talks about them being in and out of each other's homes. It talks about them greeting each other with hugs and holy kisses. And as, <laughs> as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking, I don't know about you, but sometimes in, a, in church, I find the whole greeting each other with hugs and kisses a little bit confusing. Like, is it a hug or a kiss? Or is it one kiss or two kisses or three kisses or no, no kisses? Is it a hug or a side hug? Is it an air kiss? I mean, I just find it confusing. And my husband will tell you that this isn't perhaps something, a strength of mine. I have been known to think that we're going for a hug and, or a kiss and then I've embarrassingly kissed someone's ear at church. 
a man, another man's ear. It was mortifying. <laughs> and then just a couple of weeks ago, I was in a context with, a, with someone who's from the French-speaking world, and I was like, okay, you probably do two kisses. I know where we're going with this. I felt oh. confident. I kind of went for the kiss, but I, I think I went with such force. I think I actually headbutted them. <laughs> and um, turns out they weren't going for the kiss at all. They were just going for the hug. And so, yeah, the greeting each other with a holy kiss is one that I, I tend to now avoid because I'm just, I tend to get it wrong. But anyway, I digress. Um, that isn't the point of this message to talk about hugging and kissing. Um, we don't have French memories, do we? In the New Testament, this kinonia. This sharing life together was viewed as the environment, a non-optional environment for where, as believers, we grow. And if we look at the exhortations in the Bible towards growth and maturity, they're pretty much all in the context of one anothering, of being in community. John Ortberg, who's an American pastor teacher, says this, community is what you were created for. It is God's desire for your life and it is the one indispensable condition for human flourishing. So it would appear that the soil in which we grow and flourish as believers is one where we are rooted in community with one another. And I think as Christians, we know we need relationship with God. We know we need him in our lives And you may have heard some people preach saying we all have a God-shaped hole that only he can fill. But a few um, years ago, when Phil was actually preparing a preach on community, he came across his book by the same author, John Ortberg, called Everyone is Normal Until You Get to Know Them, which is a a great, great title. Um, And it it says this, which I'm going to read a quote to you, and it really emphasised this point to us that we actually really need each other. So this quote is where the author's talking about Adam in in the garden, right at the beginning of the Bible, and it says this. In the garden, the human being is in a state of perfect intimacy with God. Each word he and God speak with each other is filled with closeness and joy. He walks with God in the garden in the cool of the day. He is known and loved to the core of his being by his omniscient, love-filled creator. Yet the word of God uses to describe him is alone and God says that this aloneness is not good it appears that God creates inside this man a kind of human shaped void that God himself will not fill so I suppose he's arguing that we don't only have a God shaped hole that only God can fill we have a a human shaped need that God himself won't fill. And we, he created us for community, to know and be known by him, but also to know and be in relationship with each other. We need each other. So hopefully you're with me so far. So I have a question for you, um, or for us. How do we live out this kinonia, this community, in 2023 in Rotterdam, in this community, How do we enjoy the gift that community is to us? And as I've reflected on this, I think community is about relationships between people. Now, I'm married to Phil, and our love, very fortunately, is reciprocal. There is give and there is take. 
There's a place to give love and a place to receive love. And I think for all friendships, all relationships, there's a, there's a place in community to both give and receive love. So if you're the kind of person that makes notes and you want a title for this message, I'll call it community. A place to love others and a place to be loved. Now Phil mentioned earlier on how we're a, a church that believes in the Bible and the authority of scripture. And today I'm not going to take one particular passage and ex- kind of explain it but more we're gonna look at the Bible narrative around this whole issue of community. So let's talk about, first of all, community being a place to love others. Um, when Phil, Phil met me, he, he loved the fact that I was outgoing, he loved the fact that I would do things that he wouldn't do. And as he got to know me, he discovered that I make a really mean roast dinner. Uh, he liked that. Um, He discovered that I'm creative and that I like making things and I love encouraging people. Um, I think I can safely say I think he liked what he saw. He liked me. However, he also got to know that I am particularly expert at starting jobs and not finishing them. He got to know that I leave mugs and cups and glasses all around the house and I don't even realise I'm doing it. And this week, my mug fairy was away for a few days and the day before my mug fairy arrived home, I realised that upstairs, just in our bedroom and bathroom alone, there were eight mugs that had accumulated, which I quickly collected and took downstairs before he returned. But even this morning, I saw him walking out of the bathroom with three mugs of mine. And I said, I didn't put them all there, they just bred overnight, but it's true. On a more personal note, he got to know... That when I'm under pressure, I can speak sharply to him. And that sometimes I'm slow to apologise. And I think when we get to know people, we realise that they're not perfect. That they have their own imperfections, their own funny ways. And then we get to realise that we are not perfect. And that we're impatient, maybe an intolerant. And we don't show love as we would want to. And that we're not perfect either. In this room, um, we have people from many different backgrounds. We just look around. It's just wonderful the amount of different cultures and backgrounds we come from. But because we're from different cultures, we value different things. We express and reflect love in different ways. We mark rites of passage, such as births and deaths, in different ways. And being in this community is wonderfully rich and we absolutely love the difference in this room and the diversity and the richness of that. But there is also a huge potential for us to inadvertently offend one another. Can you see the problem? God's calling us to community and yet none of us are perfect and we all come with our own difference and our diversity. And In the New Testament, we see Jesus calling these imperfect people with all their difference to form one community in him. To to all come together under his grace as one community. And I think in the world where we see difference, often we go into groups, don't we? We go into groups of our opinions, of our class, of our race, of our tribe, of our people. Yet in the New Testament, we see the rich and the poor. We see people of different status in society, from different backgrounds, different cultures, different ways of thinking, called together as one 
community under Christ. It's because God's love is inclusive. We see in Revelation 7, 9, it says this. There is a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And as Jesus' followers, we are called to have that same radically inclusive love to people who look different to us, who think differently to us, maybe even who offend us. I just want to spend a moment looking at, well, how, how do we, how do we as this community in Rotterdam, how do we live that radically inclusive love? I think the first thing, um, I just want to quote someone called Dallas Willard. It's again, another American preacher. He said, God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. And I think if we want an inclusive community, the first thing we do is we look to Jesus because we all are here because we gather to him and we recognize that we are all in need of his grace. All of us, we, we all only come to him because of his grace. So whether you have a PhD or you don't have a single exam qualification to your name, whether you have more than you need or not enough, whether you feel like you're walking in freedom or addiction, whether you feel like you have it all together or you feel like you are falling apart, we can all come today because we are all coming because of his amazing, wonderful grace. I think the other thing, if we want to build an inclusive community is we need to love sacrificially talking to a friend this week and they he told me this story from his church he said their church is in a community in England but probably not dissimilar to this in like a built-up area and they've there's quite a lot of drug addiction in there in their area and they've started having lots of drug addicts basically coming into their church and he said the other week there's a lady who's a crack addict and what's happened is her home has been taken over by the crack dealers and has become a crack den and she comes into church um, and during the worship she starts falling asleep and her head's starting to go. So the pastor comes over and he sits down next to her and she rests her head on his shoulder and she dribbles on him. And then the time comes for the sermon. He's preaching that day. So he sat in his chair with this lady's head on his shoulder and he preached his message. <clears throat> What a beautiful picture of inclusivity, of letting know, people know they're welcome. And Jesus welcomed all. He welcomed the people society would have shunned. And we looked earlier this year, I don't know if some of you, some of you wouldn't have been in the room, but we looked about how Jesus broke down the dividing walls between people so that we could all come as one people. Now in the church I've just told you about, sadly, some of the middle-class people are starting to leave that church because they feel uncomfortable. And I think there's a challenge for us not to put up walls that God in Jesus has broken down. Not to put walls in our heart, in our opinions, in our thinking that we're somehow better, but we're all here because of his grace. I think lastly, we need to come with humility. And I think we especially need to do that when it comes to our cultural differences. 
I think it's really important when we're thinking about culture is to recognise that my preferred way of doing something, maybe the cultural way I do something, isn't the, the only way and isn't necessarily the best way. It's a way. And I think we need to be aware of the danger of thinking people need to be more like us rather than actually they need to be more like Jesus. So when it comes to culture, let's be quick to listen to each other, to understand, to ask questions, because we, we value different things. The last few weeks, um, we've had the privilege of having, Finn and I have met with Varha each week as we think and plan for the church, and we have so appreciated just the cultural difference he brings and how he thinks about things. And I just want to say, Phil and I, we've come from a very diverse church, but we still have much to learn. And so we, want, we won't see everything. And we may inadvertently offend some of you, and, but we want to say we want to hear from you. We want to hear culturally how we can love you, encourage you, support you. And also for our, in, a, in a church that's truly multicultural, I've heard it said that we should all be a little bit comfortable some of the time. If Phil and I always feel comfortable about how things are done, then that's not a true expression of who we are. So I just want to say we, we want to hear from you and we want to, our church to reflect everyone that's in this room today. And before I move on, I just when I was preparing, I felt there was a couple of groups that I just felt God wanted me to highlight that we need to be inclusive to when it comes to church. When we planted this church, we got an email from some people who live right in the south of Rotterdam and they were in their 60s and just an email conversation they said oh, I suppose you don't really want us because you want young people for church planting <laughs> my response wasn't yeah you're right my response was no we we need you and we want you as it was it they're a long way away and they haven't come but I just wanted to say that many cultures that honor age and in the west we're not so great at this um and if you are in the older generation here, we want to just say we honour you and we appreciate your wisdom and your experience and your faithfulness over years and that you have a valuable part to play in this community. And um, when I was preparing, in my mind, I kind of saw this image of a, a big tree. And in England, you often get these huge oak trees and underneath in spring, you get crocuses growing under the tree. And I just, I felt the sense that actually one of the ways God wants to use you if in the older generation in this church is to provide shade and shelter for people to grow, to provide safety. And you might not feel like you have all the answers or all the wisdom, but don't underestimate just the experiences you've gone through life and what you have to offer. And don't underestimate the power of someone who just listens and cares. So we want to say we honour you and we are so glad that you are here. I feel like I'm even partly speaking to myself because actually I am probably one of the older ones in the room. Like, you know, because you can think oh, I'm not old, but actually I'm, I'm 50 and most of you are younger than me. You know, so just putting it out there. I'm putting myself in some of the older bracket. I just also as a community just want us to really be aware of um, single people in our church. I think church can be quite family focused sometimes. We, we speak about it in the language of family, don't we, in the Bible. And so for those of you who are married here or come with other people or other family, just want you to remember what it's like to come to church, but maybe then go home on your own. 
I think one of the loneliest times of my life was when I went to church and I was in community and I went home alone. It's not good. So let's be aware of people who are here on their own. Remember what it's like to go home on your own. Remember what Valentine's Day maybe is like if, you celebrate, if your culture celebrates that or what Christmas Day was like if you're on your own. I think it's particularly important in the city of Rotterdam where I think statistics say that 70% of the population between 20 and 40 are single in this city. And many people who come to this, even to this church don't have any other family member in this country. So church, let's love each other well. Let's be inclusive. Let's love sacrificially. Let's come humbly. And let's have open circles in our conversations and let's have open homes. Okay. First half done. Community is a place where we love others. But a community is also a place where we need to let others love us. You can really only be love, you can really only love and be loved to the extent that you know and are known. For someone to really know me, it involves me being genuine with them and letting my guard down. And I think if we want genuine relationships and friendships, we need to show people who we really are. We need to be honest with people, to say things like, I've had a hard week, I'm sad. Do you know I'm really doubting if God loves me? Do you know I'm even doubting if God exists? Or I'm believing the lie that I'm not good enough? Or I find it hard walking into church on my own? Or I compare myself to others and I don't really feel I have anything to bring? Now I'm not suggesting that we tell everyone all our deepest kind of vulnerabilities, but I, I think it's probably appropriate that we do have places where we do do that. There is something incredibly rich and precious about allowing people in to love us. I have friends that over you know, a number of years we've got increasingly vulnerability, vulnerability with, and I know when I tell them things, they love me in a, in a way which, like, I suppose like God loves me, they know some of my mess. God knows my mess and he loves me anyway, and they know some of my mess and they love me anyway. And there's something rich about allowing other people in a way to be Jesus to us, to show that sacrificial love. Some of us, I think, are great at serving, loving and encouraging others, but I just want to ask you, how, how good are you allowing others to love you, to serve you, when you're struggling? I think in our society, we need to beware the trap of self-reliance and individualism, where I just go, I just need to be strong, I need to get through on my own. <coughs> I think being genuine and open is precious, but it is a pretty risky business, isn't it? I mean, what if I tell people what I, I really think, or I really feel, or how I sometimes act? Will they still like me? Will they, still, will they still love me? Tim Keller goes as far to say as to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. And perhaps this is where you are today. Perhaps you've shared something with friends and they haven't loved and supported you as much as you'd hoped. Or perhaps you've opened up to a friend about a struggle in your life and you feel they've judged you and backed off. And in the words of that wonderful bad wham, once bitten, twice shy. You're like, oof. 
And perhaps you've had situations where trust has been broken in a far more significant way. Situations of abuse from a friend or relative where you're like, I don't know if I can ever trust anyone again. And understandably, I think when we have experiences like this, they mean we're cautious. We're cautious to be open to allow others close. And I think when, we, when we're hurt like that, I think many of us don't really know how to process that disappointment and pain and how to look to God um, for healing. So I want to end this message today just sharing a personal experience where I was hurt and just share a bit of my journey and how I've walked through that. And just my hope and prayer is that this is helpful for you and if you're carrying hurt and pain. Um, so I was quite recently quite hurt by a friend and it, it may seem like a very small thing, but it actually, my heart was quite wounding. So in a, in a conversation I had with them, they suggested that a really tricky situation that Phil and I had been in and walked through, um, where people had responded in quite an unhelpful way to a question I asked, was perhaps caused by the way I asked the question and that I can set, be direct and perhaps I asked in a direct way. And to be honest, I was gutted. Um, I felt solely blamed for a situation that had happened. I felt labelled. I felt really disappointed and I was really hurt. And that hurt made me want to withdraw. It made me not want to do things like I'm doing today to speak because I didn't want to be open to people's criticism or what, why are you doing that? Or you're a bit direct or you're a bit forceful. But I knew if I left this hurt unattended, it would form some of the soil in my heart and other things would grow in that soil, like disappointment and insecurity and rejection. And I really didn't want that to happen. And those things like disappointment and insecurity and rejection would strangle and suffocate what God wants to do in my life and what he's called me to. And ultimately, I knew I needed to forgive I've had the privilege this last year of um, getting to know this wonderful lady who um, um, she invited me into a group of other ladies like almost to, like to offer some discipleship and input and one of the things she talked through was um, how to walk through a process of forgiveness and I found it so helpful so I, I walked through what almost she taught me to do and I'm not saying this is the only thing, the only way to walk through forgiveness but for me I found this hugely helpful. She started off when she, we talked about it saying forgiveness comes from the heart. So if you want to forgive, you need to know what's in your heart. So I needed to forgive someone previously. And they said, I want, she said to me, I want you to picture them in front of you. And I want you to tell them how you feel. Like not the pretty version, like the real version. So this is how I started. I was like, God, I'm angry. I feel blamed. Actually, I feel paralysed. I feel disappointed. I feel like this is unfair. And it turned out there was quite a lot of emotion in my heart. But once that emotion was out, I now knew what I needed to forgive. I need to forgive you for blaming me, for disappointing me, for being unfair towards me. And I need to let God be your judge, not me be your judge. Because actually, God, you endlessly forgive me. So I did, I prayed and I let go 
of the right to be her judge. And you may have been hurt by one word someone said. Or it may be, like I said, that trust has been broken in a significant way. But I want to encourage you today, if you've been hurt by someone, not to leave it unattended in your heart. Not to ignore it. Not allow it to rob you. But to process and forgive the hurt you've experienced. And our God is so faithful and he is a redeemer and a restorer of things that are broken. Now, often we think the process of forgiveness ends there. But there was a third part to this process, which she, I just found amazing. And the third process is like, okay, ask Jesus what he would say to you. And actually, Phil and I, as part of me trying to process my pain, we talked to some trusted friends. And it was so amazing. He, so the, the husband of the couple we spoke to, he said to me, you know, Sarah, you can be quite direct. And I'm going to use his words, not mine. He said, and if you're a man, that would probably be something that was really celebrated. People would say you ask good questions and you're not afraid to stand up for justice. But because you're a woman, I think some people feel uncomfortable with that. And he said, the fact you're direct is a good thing and it's how God's made you. So why don't you ask Jesus what he thinks about it? And there was a redeeming of, of, of something... I felt I needed to hide. And even talking about it today, I'm like, I was aware, even telling you someone said that about me, I feel vulnerable. Some of you might think, oh yeah, you are a bit direct. I'm like, oh, do I want you to even put that word in your mouth? But I'm like, okay, God, but I believe, actually, you're redeeming that in me. That you want me to be someone who does speak up and ask questions and speak out for justice. And I need to own that's how you made me. And you can redeem that in me. And perhaps there's been words spoken over you. They might be really little things that you're too short, too tall, too loud, too quiet, or a real man wouldn't do things like this, or that's not what being feminine means. And it says, doesn't it, that words meant to harm us, God can turn and use them for his good. It may be today, even if I'm speaking, you're aware of words that people have spoken over you. I just want to encourage you to ask him what he would say over you and not let those words be the defining word in your life because if we're going to step into community it's very hard to do that if we're if we're carrying pain because we don't want to be hurt again community is God's design and it's a wonderful place where we can love others in an inclusive sacrificial way and it's also a place where we can be let our guard down and allow others to love to love us Okay, Phil, I'll hand to you.